Coming up today, we unveil the best day of the week to go into the office and discuss the biggest rule change in Formula One. You're listening to the Wired UK podcast, your essential weekly guide to all the big stories in tech, science, business and culture. I'm your host, Vicky Turk, and joining me today are Matt Reynolds. Hello. Amit Katwala. Hello. And Natasha Bernal. Hello. This was the week when Black England football players were targeted with racist abuse on social media following the Euros final, leading the government to call on big tech firms to clamp down on racism online. Meanwhile, fans responded by flooding players' profiles with positive messages. This was also the week when a sealed copy of the N64 classic Super Mario 64 sold at auction for $1.56 million, setting a new record. Pristine sealed copies of retro games are surprisingly rare. It's thought there are just five copies of Super Mario 64 in a similar condition. And finally, digital banking startup Revolut has become the UK's most valuable fintech business this week after raising $800 million in a funding round led by SoftBank. The company is valued at £23.9 billion, more than big four banking giant NatWest. How is everyone today? Happy podcast day. I'm up for it. I've got a great fact, courtesy of Natasha, so I'm I'm raring to go. <laughs> That's what I love to hear. Good energy in the podcast Zoom. Matt Reynolds then, tell us your fact. We're all we're all psyched up for this now. So I found out that in 2014, the Finnish Reindeer Herders Association, which is a thing, apparently, painted reindeer's antlers with reflective orange paint in order to make them more visible to motorists, to stop them getting run over, basically. It also tried hanging reflectors around their necks, but sadly, neither measure, these reflectors or the orange antlers, uh, managed to reduce reindeer road deaths. There is a, a bright side, though, because a couple of years later, instead, they did the much more boring thing which is release an app that tracked reindeer and warned road users when they were near reindeer and that did seem to uh make a, a reduction in a road traffic accidents involving reindeer it's a bit of an anticlimactic fact really matt isn't it like i was i was envisioning <laughs> great these reindeer with the reflective antlers and then it didn't help at all yeah that's bit i mean maybe they thought oh actually the reflective antlers are great so we should just keep them because it's more stylish but presumably the reindeer maybe put up a bit of a fuss and didn't love having their antlers painted so maybe the app solution is is like the best for everyone have you seen the pictures of the reindeer with the painted antlers they look absolutely terrifying so it may not have reduced reindeer road deaths but it would have increased the number of pedest- uh, drivers that were frightened to death by seeing the sort of glowing presence <laughs> in the dark let us know if you've ever seen a reflective reindeer podcast at wired.co.uk. We love to hear your stories, especially reindeer-based ones. Amit, you've got a fact for us as well. Yeah, quite a grim fact, but I thought it was really quite interesting. So I learned that in India, 2,000 people a year die from getting hit by lightning, according to official figures. That compares to about three per year in the UK. This is an insanely high rate, and it's partly due to, obviously, India's large population, but also a combination of the monsoon season, which brings heavy downpours and thunder and lightning every year, plus the fact that a lot of the country's rural population works outside. It is an interesting fact, but as you say, a bit um, bit of a morbid one. Thanks, Amit. 
Moving on to our first story of the week. And as things are starting to open up in the UK and some other countries, we're still thinking about the return to the office, something that Natasha has been looking into in depth. What is the best day of the week to go into the office? That's the question that we posed this week. That's right. And I partook in a little bit of unexpected market research in this in this area. So last week I did something that I hadn't done for the last 16 months. I ventured into the office. Not remarkable in normal times, of course, but it felt like quite a big moment. You know, I'd kind of forgotten how to interact with people. I'd forgotten how my past worked to let me into the office. So yeah, I managed to kind of get around things, but it was it was kind of weird. And I know I'm not alone in this as the work from home advice in the UK is being dropped from July the 19th. So lots of people, uh, actually, I should say the work uh, from home advice in England is being dropped from July the 19th. So there's lots of people who aren't already back at work are facing the prospect of going back in the office. And they're asking the question, well, when exactly should I come in? Yeah, so you and I had a bit of a chat about this um, earlier, just having a bit of a uh, inspirational moment talking about how, how you went in and things. So, so you went into the office on Wednesday of last week, right? So h- how did you find it? Were you more productive working there than working from home? I, this is kind of fascinating. I love the fact that you're asking me this question as if I've done something remarkable. It's like, Matt, so you made lunch this week and I, I heard it was a sandwich. How did that go? <laughs> um, but it was great. Uh, so yeah, so I, I actually, I tried my new commute. So uh, I cycled into the office. That went well. And I was meant to be in the office because I had a meeting with Anna, our colleague Anna, because we we're going to talk about some videos we're working on. But really, I was thinking, well, sooner or later, we're going to be heading back into the office. So I better, you know, get some practice in you know learn how to talk to people figure out where my desk is um you know and whatever you know, get back to work honestly it was okay but maybe just okay so after working home working from home for a long time I wasn't quite as productive as I'd hoped maybe I'd thought that you know a new environment and you know some colleagues around would really you know spark a renaissance in my productivity it <laughs> didn't exactly happen like that so I think there's probably a couple of reasons for this so I was on my laptop and usually when I'm at work uh, when I'm at home I have a second screen that I plug my laptop into which is, is helpful you know if you're doing a lot of writing or you're doing a lot of research to have separate screens. I didn't have that. So I had a you know, kind of small screen I was hunched over. So that wasn't great. It didn't feel very good for you know, sitting down and doing focus work, work. And also there were a lot of distractions. You know, it was nice seeing colleagues, but maybe because I hadn't seen people for so long, I, I almost felt like I had to be like, oh, hey, you. Oh, yeah, let's have a conversation. And oh, here's something we could talk about. I think the novelty of just having people to talk to meant that, um, I, you know, I was looking for lots of opportunities uh, to do that. So maybe that says more about me being you know, easily distractible than, than, you know, the office situation. But of course, lots of other people are going to be having this same dilemma as well. It's all this question of who should go into the office and when. And the, the real question at the heart of this is, in a world of flexible working, where any of us theoretically could go into the office whenever we like, is there a perfect day of the week to go into the office? Yeah, that's that's. I think your your points are really valid because I think a lot of people are in the same situation. They're going, you know, I know how to lug lug all my things to the office. I might have to find where I'm sitting. You know, will I be? Will it be like the first day of school where you sort of waste a lot of time talking to people? Do we want to have that same effect every single week? Will it be a complete waste of time or not? So, so we looked into this issue this week because people are going to start heading back to the office after Freedom Day, and no one can really decide what day of the week is the best to be in. So, I've got some good news for you, Matt. 
there are some people in this world who have decided that they're going to go in three days a week and one of the combinations of those three days actually matches one of the days that you went in last week. So there's the people called the... Uh, I actually don't know how to say them out loud, so I'm just going to say the, the letters, if that's all right. Sorry, listeners, if you if you know the pronunciation, do let us know. But there's the WTFers, who are people who work Wednesday, Thursday and Friday, so match one of your days, Matt. There's the MTFers, who work Monday, Tuesday and Friday in the office. And there's the TWTers, who work Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. And so you've got a lot of people kind of dividing themselves into camps saying, I think these are the days that I'd like to go in. I'm convinced these are the days that are going to be more productive. Sometimes people want to work in a block of three days. Sometimes people want to work in completely non-consecutive days because they think that's going to be best. But there has to be a system, if you think about it, that is better than any other. One that encompasses the days where we're most likely to be productive around other people rather than being alone at home. And the answer we found was a little bit deflating. So no one is wrong all right, really, when it comes to the best or worst days of working in the office, because there is no such thing as the best day to go into the office. According to the experts we spoke to for this piece, the busiest days of the week tend to be Tuesdays and Thursdays, which, you know, if you look at the the three groupings that I mentioned before, make sense because a lot of the people are in at those times. But that doesn't necessarily make them the most productive. Okay, so there's not really a best day to go in the office. But can we flip it around? Is there a worse day yeah. to go into the office? Well, it turns out there is probably a worse day to go into the office. It's, it's, it's probably Friday. So there's a natural cycle to any week. We start off with the best of intentions every week and they sort of peter out around the Thursday. And the worst day to go to the office is probably Friday for most people because it's always been the least popular day to go into the office anyway. And often people finish work early that day so they feel less productive it's just before the weekend so your motivation is also at its lowest but interestingly this article taught me that monday is not much better so scientific study of workplaces and behavior in them found that people are least civil with colleagues at the start of the week they gradually become more friendly and engaging with their peers as the week goes on Uh, they become slightly less civil on fridays than they were on thursdays but nowhere near the levels at the start of the week so if you want to go into the office and interact with other people you might not be in your on your best behavior on on mondays you might want to be alone and want to ease your way into the week in a different way. So this is interesting because I guess there could be a couple of reasons why people aren't very good at socialising or you know, collaborating with their colleagues on Monday. It could be that they haven't had a chance to warm up to the collaboration and the socialisation through the week. So by Thursday, they're like, oh, great, you know, I've had loads of great chats and now I'm really feeling up for it and I'm, you know, whatever, we can get on with this project. Or maybe it's just they're really, really bummed out about coming back to work after the weekend, in which case, no matter where they are, Monday's going to be a bad day. So the interesting question is, well, if you work on ho- work at home on Monday, are people just going to find Tuesdays bad because now Tuesdays the day that they go in, you know, they they start going to the office or will they be warmed up to a little bit because they've had that Monday. Now, lots of companies right now are having to make these tough decisions and as you kind of hinted, there's not necessarily a whole bunch of super robust data to make the decisions on. So, how are they approaching this problem? 
Yeah, so most people are just asking their employees and are saying, look, when do you want to go in and trying to match them um, at, at times and days that work best for everyone involved? But some employers um, are bucking the trend and trying to give a bit of guidance based on their own data and, and taking into consideration that it's not a one-size-fits-all solution. So they've gathered all this information from their employees and they're now saying, look, these are the days we believe would be best for you to come in. So PwC is a good example. They had a flexible work deal which asked line managers to work with direct reports on which days are best for them and if you have people collaborating in that way they're more likely to want to come in and more likely to be productive and positive when they do enter the office so there's another uh, startup um, a PR agency called Words and Pixels which was in the piece which surveyed their staff on how long they'd value being in the office on any given week they said two days they then experimented on which days they wanted to come in they found that people didn't want to come in two days in a row because they felt that it was too much that they would like to have purpose every time they go into the office and go in for a reason and the reason is to interact with people and have meetings internally and so they didn't find it useful to kind of go back to the everyday commute and everyday working in the office but many companies seem to be following this idea that people are most productive at the start of the week and therefore should be in the office on those days and it perhaps stems from the concept of starting every week afresh and gradually running out of steam as we head towards the weekend. So there's research that we cited by a project management company which found that Monday and Tuesday nearly tied when it came to levels of productivity in the office with the amount of work done dropping off roughly a percentage point every day afterwards until the weekend when hardly any work was done. Separate study found that Tuesday is the most productive day but obviously this is all very debatable uh, depending on what kind of company you work for what kind of uh, you know role you're fulfilling and what your team is like so it could be you know on paper better according to some scientists could be meaningless according to others so so this is all getting a little bit confusing so monday is the best day to come in if you want to be productive but it's not a good day to come in if you want to hang out with your colleagues and you want to have good relationships and be, be civil with them i like their phrasing that people are more civil on whatever day of week that's kind of worrying um but thursday is really good if you want to be civil to your colleagues but pretty bad if you don't want to be uh, or if you want to be productive so this makes me think that perhaps we're fixating too much on a specific day. And if your company isn't working that well or your colleagues aren't getting on, then coming on a Wednesday is not going to fix things. You're not going to turn up and say, wow, this whole time it was just the day of the week that was, that was the problem. So isn't the question that's beneath all of this that we really need to do better at working out what the most productive or, you know, the, the happiest way to work is and how we can harness the beneficial bits of going into the office and from working from home as well. You're absolutely right. And I think the conversation needs to change uh, from productivity to something completely different because it's been proven throughout the pandemic that we are more productive working from home. We're doing more, you know, we're able to accomplish more. We're able to, you know, put our heads down without any distractions and get the job done, right? That's been proven time and time again throughout the, the pandemic and the working from home movement. What the office needs to be is something completely different and I think a lot of companies need to change what, what we consider productive for the office it's not sitting down and doing the same exact job as we would do at home it's you know if you go in every day and you work on your computer in a seamless setup right so let's imagine you did have your second screen and you didn't have to lug your laptop around Matt when you came into the office last week let's imagine that you had a space to work that wasn't in an open plan office where everyone is just sort of passing by your desk and you had no distractions then of course you might be just as productive as you would be working 
working from home. But that's not the point of going into the office anymore. It's it's about, you know, it, thinking about the best day to go in as the day when the most people who you need to interact with are going to be in at the same time. It's saying there is value for a company for people to have meetings with each other, whether it's internally or externally. And in order for that value to be achieved, the people that need to be in together need to be in on the same day and it doesn't matter what day of the week that happens to be it has to be the day of the week that works for that specific cohort and I think you know companies have done a very good job with sort of consulting with people and saying what days would you like to go in rather than forcing days on them like I think it's, it's not so good if a company prescriptively says we want you to be in two days a week or three days a week when they don't necessarily have the thought process to back it up to say we want this for this reason because that that way we can split the team in certain ways and you can interact with people in, in your team and we've thought it out and we've consulted with you if that doesn't happen it's just not going to work because you're going to have a situation where you're stuck in sort of a hybrid limbo where you're going into the office don't really know why are sitting there with your laptop open, trying to do the work that you would want to do at home in a bit of a better setup, only you've got the distractions of being in the office. And that's that's a situation that I think a lot of companies do want to avoid and they, they've been trying to do so. And so with this day of the week thing, <clears throat> I think in the end, if you look at if you look at the, the scenario, we're all going to be going in at the same time as everyone else, really. That's what that's what people are going to try to do, obviously, social distancing and, you know, uh, COVID secure measures allowing. We're going to want to be in at the same time as other people so that we can have those meaningful conversations, so that we can take advantage of meeting people face-to-face and doing things that we can't do at home. And that's what it boils down to. So it doesn't matter the day of the week, really. There is no such thing as the best day. It is true that, you know, our moods and, you know, our productivity will, will wane or be better at the beginning and the end of the week. But in the end, uh, you're not there to be productive. You're there to have meetings that you can't have at home. So I, I think that might have been the problem with my uh, working from the office experiment that didn't really come down to the day I was there. It came down to, well, there was one person there that I needed to meet with, but actually... I wasn't really collaborating with anyone else there. So there wasn't a whole lot of point for me, um, you know, talking to them. So, Natasha, if you had your ideal world and you could force everyone to come into the office on the same day, (laughs) what day would you pick and and why would that be? I'd advocate for Tuesday. And the reason why is because I think Monday is is not a good day to. I mean, you might have the energy to start the week, etc. But I don't. I don't feel that's necessarily the the right way to go. You want to take stock. You can do that from home. You can plan your week. You can set out your objectives and your goals. Then on Tuesday, I mean, you might have noticed from the from the groupings that I said earlier. There's a lot of people that are going to be going in three days a week. A lot of them coincide on the Tuesday. So if you want to have external meetings, that's that's the day to do it. Um, and and then you have the situation where you go okay if I want to have external meetings that's a good day to do it if I want to have internal meetings they're not all on the Monday so you're not going to be exhausting yourself with face-to-face creative meetings straight away at the beginning of the week and then sort of be deflated the rest of the time so I think Tuesday is good Wednesday not so good because you're going to be thinking about it Monday and Tuesday get it out of the way on Tuesday and that way Wednesday Thursday you can work from home and do the things that you planned on Tuesday and on Friday you can sort of make sure you've you've tied up everything and have a nice weekend and you know of course that means no Friday happy hour but you know Tuesday could be the new Friday right what do everyone else think Personally, I would go for Thursday. And actually, I feel quite strongly that Thursday is the best day. I know you've just done a whole, you know, 15 minute chat about how there is no best day. But um, I'm here to tell you that my subjective 
uh, <laughs> opinion is that you are wrong. Uh, <laughs> tell us well, why. Tell us why. Argue it. Out, I've on. been going in on Thursdays. And to be honest, I mean, it is an entirely personal thing. It's just that Thursday is the time of the week where I'm probably feeling you know, a little bit like I need a change of scene. I've been working at home for three days and maybe just like a bit of a switch up will help motivate me, help things move along. Um, and I find that, you know, yeah, if I can power through a lot of the work that I can do at home on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, then by the time it gets to Thursday, it's great to be in the office. And the thing that I find great about being in the office in person is just getting those decisions made so much faster you don't have to have a back and forth on on a messenger you don't have to send loads of emails you can just be like oh hey what about this idea should we do it yes okay great and that's sort of what I use that for so I think definitely Thursday although I mean there's definitely truth in what you say about really the best day to go into the office is the day when the people you need to speak to are in the office yeah and that, that does seem to be the case. I mean, I know we often record the podcast on Thursdays, so I, I would like to, you know, do that in person again. There's nothing like, you know, being crammed in a cupboard together <laughs> sort of with our really close fine microphones, trying not to spit in each other's faces. It's not very COVID friendly, but um, but certainly miss it. Amit, go on. Tell uh, us your day. Sunday. Um, no, not really. Um, <laughs> I think I think either Thursday or Friday. Um, because I think the main reason, the main thing I miss is socialising, right? And seeing people. And actually, I think I'm not going to do any work on Friday anyway. So if I go into the office and just like hang out with you guys, I would quite like that. And then we can go to the pub, make a night of it. Um, But then Thursday's a new Friday. So maybe do that on Thursday and then have Friday at home to recover in time for like a long weekend. Either that. That's true. Or... I know I'm hedging quite a lot here from a, from a work perspective I think for us the day that would make the most sense would be Monday because that's when we have most of our kind of team meetings like deciding what stories we're going to work on etc cetera, etc cetera. so it would make sense to do those meetings in person but also I really don't want to go on on Mondays so I'm kind of torn between Monday and Friday and I'd lean towards Friday. I like the idea of sort of you silently recovering on a Friday, a massive hangover every single week. <laughs> yeah, is that no not what Friday, yeah, after me, yeah. And me and Matt Burgess have stayed in the pub on our own until like 11.30 at night. Good times. That's terrifying, just to think of the before times. I don't know if anyone's... I don't, I don't think we've any of us have been in that situation for a while, so it'd be absolute lightweights. Um, Matt Reynolds, you who have been in the office on the Wednesday, you obviously didn't enjoy it. Do you have a day of the week to yeah. pronounce your final verdict? Yeah, I'm like, well, I went on a Wednesday once and it was terrible. Wednesday's the worst <laughs> day. Written off Wednesday forever. So I like how we're all being really, really hopeful. And maybe I'm not sure if the powers that be at Wired are listening to this. But we're all just mentioning one day. We're like, oh, yeah, we only have to be in one day. One day. So that's fine. I think I actually uh, land between Vicky and Amit here. I think I would go for... Monday and Thursday. Monday, because I think it's just a wrap the plaster off, rip the plaster off rather, um, jump in, do your meetings, get all that boring stuff over and done with, um, you know, do all that interaction. And then when it comes down to the actual real productive work, I find that I'm probably better at doing that when I'm not around people. So I can power through that on Tuesday and Wednesday. On Thursday, you know, I spend a bit of time alone. Maybe we'll do the podcast, have a little bit more interaction. And then you know, we can have some of the benefits of being at home when the weekend starts. So you can feel like the weekend's a bit longer. So I think Monday, Thursday is the the best combination for me. But who knows? 
You know, it depends. If everyone else is going to be a Wednesday, Tuesday person, then I might have to be pulled in their direction. Though hopefully I'll be advocating very strongly for the Monday, Thursday split. Mm. Well, it looks like if we're basing ourselves off of what we just said in the article, we would have to come in on Mondays and Thursdays because it makes no sense for me to come in on Tuesday if none of you are around. So... There we go. Sorry, Natasha. You might have you might have lost that one. Uh, let us know if you've got a best day of the week to go into the office. Settle this argument once and for all. If you go in one day, two days, three days, what is the best single day or combination? Podcast at wired.co.uk. Maybe we'll test them out at some point and uh, and report back. Our second story of this week is about Formula One, the sport. Formula One is unveiling the result of what could be the biggest rule change ever in the sport. They're changing the formula in Formula One. A bit of background if you're not an F1 fan. This sport is really as much about the car design as it is the drivers. The drivers don't drive the same car. The teams instead build their own cars, but based on a very strict set of technical rules. And for the 2022 racing season, these rules have had what F1 is touting as a pretty massive overhaul. Amit, why the change? So there's a bunch of different reasons. Partly they want to make the sport a bit greener, but the main thing is they want to make the sport more exciting to watch. And the changes that are coming in next season include a complete overhaul of the technical regulations, which will make the cars look very different and hopefully allow them to be to race much closer together and make it easier to overtake. And the problem with overtaking, and it, the reason it's so difficult to overtake an F1 is because of the wake. So when running at speed, F1 cars create loads of turbulent air behind them, which they... The engineers very carefully craft the car to kind of shape away so it doesn't disturb the rear wing, which kind of sticks the car to the track. But that wake that they create and move around their own car then creates a turbulence that affects the following car and significantly reduces the downforce that that car has available to it. Downforce is this force that sticks the cars to the road through high-speed corners. So in this turbulent air, the following car finds it really, really difficult to get grip really, and its system starts to overheat. And that makes it really, really difficult for F1 cars to get close enough to their opponents, to their rivals, to even attempt an overtaking manoeuvre or follow another car closely through the corners. And this is one of the one of the big bugbears of a lot of F1 fans. They want to see the drivers really racing with one another, getting up close, jostling for position, overtaking and being overtaken. That's what makes a race really interesting. But people complain that at the moment, at many racetracks, largely due to the design of the cars, races can be a bit more like a procession. They're effectively decided the day before by whoever wins pole position, or else they're settled early on in the race if someone takes the lead and just simply can't be overtaken. How will the new rules make overtaking more possible and encourage that sort of dynamic racing that we all want to see? So essentially by trying to acting on that turbulent air and trying to stop that from happening. So uh, Pat Simons, F1's chief technical officer and his team have completely rewritten the techno- technical rules and they had two crucial objectives when they were doing this. One was to produce a more benign wake, he says, so that's the turbulent air coming off the back of the car to be more friendly to the car behind, so to be less turbulent. And then the second was to design cars that would be less affected by the wake to begin with, so these cars are going to be better at dealing with the turbulent air that does come off the cars. So if you look at the current generation of F1 cars, they're very sophisticated. They've got all these kind of vortex generators, so little bits of aerodynamic bodywork to control the airflow. And they work really well in clean air. So when you're running at the front of a race, they're brilliant. They stick your car to the track and you can go really fast. But they don't work very well in turbulent air. 
So the regulations are essentially aimed to make simpler cars that create less turbulence and that are better able to cope with the turbulence that they receive from the cars in front of them. And that means the cars are going to look very, very different in 2022, even to the untrained eye. Many of the appendages that are dotted across the bodywork will disappear. People will notice that it's a much cleaner car. The front wing of the car will look really different. The rear wing will look completely different. And the wheels are also going to be a lot bigger. So the cars are going to go from having 13-inch wheels to 18-inch wheels, um, which will make them look cooler, some people say, but it also um, will help them race closer together because wheels are one source of really, really turbulent air. And a lot of the bodywork you see around the wheels is to direct the air away from the rear wing. Um, and the new 2022 design should help to counter this as well. When you look at slow-mo shots of F1 cars on television, you can see how much the tyre moves and vibrates. Moving to a larger wheel means that you have stiffer tyres, which will have less effect on the aerodynamics. Great. So these do sound like pretty big changes. I mean, when you're talking about a car, if you're making a big change to the wheels, that's obviously a really crucial part. So it all sounds quite promising in theory, but F1 as a company and the team's that compete in F1 don't always see eye to eye on things like this, do they? I mean, that's really part of the game. Whenever F1 changes the rules, the engineers and the aerodynamicists on the teams immediately try to get around them. They see how far they can push the boundaries or find creative solutions. So they're still technically within the letter of the rules, but doing things in a way that F1 and perhaps the other teams may not have really expected. What do the racing teams make of these new changes coming in? Yeah, I think there's probably mixed uh, feelings about it. So we spoke to James Allison from Mercedes, who have obviously been front runners for the last seven or eight years. And they welcomed the rules, but they were reserving judgment. And, you know, obviously, obviously they're the ones who are at the front most of the time or have been. So I probably have least problem with kind of turbulent air coming off other, t- other cars because they're always in front of them. But he mentions this possibility that, yeah, teams will find a way around the new regulations and nullify the intended improvements. So when the sport has like changed the rules in the past, so in 2009, with this, a similar aim of significantly reducing downforce, there was a loophole that was discovered by three teams. And this allowed Braun GP and Jensen Button to dominate the early part of the season and ultimately clinch the world championship. Not necessarily because the car was, well, I mean, the car was faster, but it was only because they'd kind of, read the rules in such a way that allowed them to create this loophole called the split diffuser which stuck the car to the track and the other teams maybe interpreted the rules differently and didn't realize or didn't realize that they could do that and there was a big kind of um uh drama and you know kind of controversy about whether this this aerodynamic feature was actually allowed or not and they want to they'll want to have avoided that kind of thing with these new rules. They want the teams to be operating within the framework that they've set out and not find little shortcuts or loopholes that weren't intended by the rule designers. And of course, a lot of fans will be wanting these rules to work. They'll be wanting to see a more competitive race. But this is really part of the sport as well, isn't it? It's not just the drivers competing on the track. It is also the engineers, the aerodynamicists competing against the rules. And it it's part of what makes F1 so interesting I remember quite a few funny looking appendages on cars and and media controversies controversies that have resulted from from teams trying to push their look and innovate their way around the rules. Um, You mentioned one there. I remember in 2018, Ferrari had very strange wing mirrors uh, on the halo device that caused a little bit of a media storm and lots of controversy. They were later uh, banned and the team's 
probably don't really care about encouraging overtaking so much, especially those that want to be at the front of the track, right? They care about making the fastest car on the track and they'll do anything to reach that goal. But in this new rule change, function also wasn't the only thing in consideration, right? They also want the cars to look good. Yeah, I think, you know, in an ideal world, there would essentially be no rules, right? And you'd have all these kind of wacky shapes and different approaches to tackling this problem of how you get a driver around the track as fast as possible. Well, I remember in the 90s, I think there was a car with six wheels and that was uh, something that one of the teams tried and then it was quickly ruled illegal by the the sport because it was just kind of not in keeping with their vision for F1. And this is the first time there's really been a concerted effort to legislate what the cars look like. You know, obviously, they've all looked pretty similar in the past because they offer to operate in this quite narrow set of regulations. And there have been specifications about how big the wheels can be or how wide the front wing can be and things like that. But this time there is a there's been an effort to essentially say this is what the car should look like. This is perhaps a reaction to instances in the past, like the wing mirrors you mentioned, Vicky, or uh, past occasions where rule changes have spawned. Uh, objectively unattractive machines. There was this bizarre trend for a platypus nose cars, as they were called, that appeared around 2012. Simmons says that he wants kids to put pictures of the car up on their bedroom wall. That was an important consideration. So as well as kind of talking to aerodynamicists and engineers when they were developing the rules, they also, F1 also employed a really good stylist. So the engineers and the aerodynamicists would write the regulations, they'd run models and say, okay, well, here's what the car would look like if we adopt this set of rules. And then the stylist would take that version, tidy it up to make it look a bit nicer, and then they'd run the simulations again. And if it had no adverse effect on the performance of the cars, they'd adopt that as part of the rules. So the result is a much nicer looking car. Um, The style is driven by aerodynamics, but they wanted it to look really, really good. The teams are a bit kind of ambivalent about this. We spoke to James Allison from Mercedes about this, and he said he's not sold on the 2022 car's appearance, but he says that you know, if it's if it's a good car, he won't really care and he'll think it's the most beautiful thing that was ever created. It is funny that they brought a, a stylist on board. That was uh, unexpected to me. And I think it maybe highlights some of the tensions in sort of the business of F1 as well, right? You know, for the teams that are racing, they just want to win. They want to make the fastest car. But it's also a massive media company. You know, they want people to be buying tickets. They want people, as you say, to be putting posters of the cars on their walls and getting really into it. So there's sort of a, a publicity angle there as well that I guess they've decided they need to keep keep in account. Um, So the new rules are coming into effect next year. We'll probably start to get a peek at the impact that it's had on the cars in the testing season, but we'll really see what the outcome is in the first races of 2022. If the rules are successful in their aim, what do you expect to see, Amit? Well, if if they are successful in their aim, well, I think initially any kind of big rule change like this will shake up the pack a bit. So we may see teams that have been struggling at the back of the grid for years kind of suddenly coming to the front. Um, we may see big gaps between teams before, uh, as they try out different things, and then we'll probably see a slow convergence around the best approach. So what we'll see is teams kind of copying ideas from one another, seeing, okay, well, this didn't work, but they're doing really well. What are they doing differently? Let's let's borrow from there or take inspiration from what they're doing. But what will hopefully happen is that at the end of the first race, drivers will say, you know, that they were able to really follow the car in front a lot closer, that they could overtake in situations where they wouldn't couldn't have overtaken before, and that it will make for a better spectacle, which will hopefully keep fans happy, drivers happy, and as always in F1, also sponsors happy. 
Great. I'd like to see that as well. Anything that makes the race more competitive, in my opinion, makes it more exciting. So looking forward to see if that uh, comes into fruition. And Amit, earlier this year, you wrote a cover story for Wired about F1 driver Lewis Hamilton. Last year, he won the championship to rival Michael Schumacher for the most championships ever won. And I think at that point, we perhaps assumed that he'd definitely win again this year and beat that record. But Max Verstappen at Red Bull is actually giving him a real run for his money and is currently topping the leaderboard. So there's still everything to play for, but it's by no means a given. What could this rule change coming in mean for Lewis Hamilton? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting challenge. He's won, what, six of his seven titles at Mercedes under the kind of current uh, paradigm of current rules. So it could be, you know, as I said, the regulations mean a reset of the established order of things. And we don't know if Mercedes will be the front runners in this next period. We don't know if the new cars and the way they work will suit Lewis's talents, which are obviously very, very suited to the current conditions. He's so good at managing tyres and things like that, as I write in the feature that I did with him. Um, He might find a role as sort of a a guiding hand on the new design of the new cars for Mercedes in this era. So when he first started at Mercedes, the car had been worked on by drivers like Michael Schumacher, who would help to put a lot of the hard work in and design in the car. And it may be that he enjoys that sort of development role, even if he isn't challenging for championships for the first few years. But I do think an eighth world title will be at the front of his mind. Great. You can find out more about both of the stories we've discussed on the podcast today at wired.co.uk, along with loads of other great stories. So do check it out. We've got some feedback from our listeners this week. Matt Reynolds, Finlay wrote in. That's right. Finlay wrote in about Virgin Galactic founder Richard Branson, who on Sunday flew very high up. Some people say he even went into space and he'll shortly be followed by Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. Finlay points out that since Branson and Bezos are both flying with American institutions and they're leaving from American soil, there'll be astronauts according to the US government's definition, because they fly 80 kilometres above Earth, but that the debate is likely to go on for years and years and years, and perhaps retrospectively, people might take back that designation. Definitely a debate that we'll continue to be having, I'm sure, as more and more billionaires decide to go into their own definition of space. (laughs) Thank you, everyone, for joining the podcast. We'll be back again next week. As per usual, do send your feedback in if you've got any thoughts on things we discussed this episode. It's podcast at wired.co.uk. And that's goodbye from us this week. Bye. Bye. Bye.